Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of uh, Direct Connect with Archer. I'm uh, Leonard Chamberlain, one of the managing partners with Archer, today joined by Jeff Johnson, Archer employee. And we have a guest today, Mr. Jerome Mitchell. Jerome, if you'd uh, introduce yourself since you've uh, never been on one of our Direct Connects before, give us a little bit about your background, that'd be great. Thank you. Gotcha. Hi, uh, my name is Jerome Mitchell. I am a fellow Tulanian and computer science major from a number of years back. Um, though I no longer work in software engineering, I am now an educator um, working in teaching AP computer science in a private school where I also play Dungeons and Dragons, really Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but tomato, tomato, um, with my students. So I'm hoping I can actually kind of give you all a different perspective in delivering information today. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I neglected to mention uh, how, how we came by your uh, guest appearance today. Um, as Jerome mentioned, uh, fellow Tulanian. So uh, Jerome and I are old friends, uh, former, um, I, I don't know if we were ever classmates technically, but uh, both technically in not. computer science at the same time at Tulane and uh, Go way back. So uh, thank you very much for making the time to to chat with us today. So um, the the topic of today's direct connect is essentially what can incident response exercises, recovery plan exercises learn from role playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons. You know, in recent uh, weeks, uh, based on some of the projects that I've been working on, some situations have come up, some challenges in, in running some some exercises and presenting some scenarios. Um, Jeff, I know that you uh, do a lot of uh, work in that area as well. I'm, I'm sure you can, um, you know, talk about some of the challenges you deal with when you're uh, facilitating exercises. Yeah, it's um, it's always a, an interesting um, element when you present something to a, a registered entity or a utility that pushes them a little bit out of their comfort zone, um, it, especially when you you start to work with situations that uh, you know may not necessarily make the front page news, but they're based off of scenarios that we're seeing from intelligence out in the field. So a lot of the times I've I've run a couple of these exercises and I'll say. You know, something to the effect of, you know, someone has planted an explosive device in a confectionery and left it in your refrigerator in your break room, and it blew up and took out the wall to your data center. And I get a lot of, well, that'll never happen. That's impossible. That could never happen. And I keep thinking, well, you know, Stuxnet was often thought to be impossible too, but it happened. So, um, and that's really, I think, where kind of the role-playing element comes into play because at some point you basically have to stop and say, uh, no, it happened because I said it happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From the perspective of, um, you know, compliance roles that we work in and having to have an incident response plan, having to have a recovery plan, these are documented step-by-step -step procedures that subject matter experts have to not only, um, you know, follow in the event of an incident, but also have to exercise on, you know, a period, 
you know, based on the criticality of the system that it's for, you know, a year, every three years, whatever the case may be. So as as we're walking through these scenarios with our clients and trying to make this as engaging as possible, you know, a lot of times some of the scenarios Jeff was talking about earlier, they challenge and say, you know, we, that 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 could never happen. So from the perspective of being the DM and running a campaign, when your players challenge you and kind of push back on the scenario and kind of say, you know, hey, this isn't believable. Granted, I mean, you're dealing with fantasy, so you've got <laughs> you've got a wide range of um, you know opportunity to to push the envelope there. But um, you know, what are some techniques from yeah. your perspective that that you use to kind of keep the the campaign on track? Yeah, it's fantasy. But every genre has its conventions. There's always going to be rules, as it were. Um, so how do you actually deal with it when someone challenges the challenges whether or not the rules are what they are? Um, the interesting part is, as a, as a game master, again, you control everything which is not the three main characters. So as someone's, if someone says, this thing doesn't work, well, I basically design the physics of the world. Here's the reason why, based on this scenario and that thing, blah, blah, blah. And as long as I can make up something which is plausible and realistic and makes solid sense, then we can run with it. As an example, why would there be giant rats here? That makes no sense, except for this hole in the wall that they have right here. You should be able to see a ping saying jam renaissance. Yeah, that'd be a hole in the wall going underground. And what is underground? Rats. Plus, you have food there. Her fishery, her fish. So, um, rats have a way to get in. There's free food there. Now you have giant rats. Does that make sense? So, like, as since I know the world, I can go ahead and say, well, these are the reasons why this thing happens. Now, admittedly, that also means that I have to have a logical reason why things occur as a part of my stories. Um, and... You've seen, I'm sure you've seen Hollywood movies where you've looked up stuff, where you've been watching it, and you go, "I don't understand this. This does not actually, this does not actually work for me." So, like, it's not a crazy thing to ask. You just have to be willing to be able to go. Here's what happened. Let the person be able to know behind the scenes. Here's the um, steps that we got to, that we went through in order to get to where we're at right now. I think to an extent, though, um, there's kind of an understood relationship between players and the DM. Like there's only so far that they will challenge you before they go with it. Right. So, Jeff, in thinking about, you know, facilitating an exercise, um, maybe, you know, since there isn't that kind of understood relationship between a facilitator and the SMEs that are, you know, following the exercise, maybe there's kind of a setting the ground rules that needs to happen ahead of the exercise to kind of uh, proactively defeat those challenges. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a great perspective. Um, you know, I was just thinking in, in my head, in a couple of the scenarios that I just recently done for, for some of our clients, you know, I, I literally did throw, you know, three giant rats in a corner in, in the equivalent of a cybersecurity or physical security incident. Um, and you're right. You have to play that thin line between stretching the boundaries of reality and hopefully, you know, as it's our responsibility as we run these exercises is to become familiar enough with the client's facilities and their people and their procedures 
so that you could literally say, no, actually, you know, there's a small grate into a, um, a service uh, closet and that goes into a sewer and that sewer is directly below your physical security building where all your stuff is. So yes, theoretically, something could crawl up through that pipe. So it's a very, very thin line between reality and fantasy that you have to play. And to your point, Leonard, I think it's important when you start these exercises that you say to them, you know, I'm presenting a scenario to you which, just like a map in, in a dungeon master environment, you only see a microscopic piece of, right? I'm, I'm telling you that there is a fire in your control room, and that's all you know. And uh, the relationship has to be established early on in the conversation to say, you only have a small subset of information and you have your plan. My job is to tell you that that plan is going to work, but it's going to be stretched and impacted by what I decide happens in this scenario. It's not going to go above and beyond like aliens aren't going to show up and, you know, pluck your people out of the building. But there are things I'm going to throw at you like these giant rats that are going to challenge you to think outside the box and say, oh, I, I didn't think about the grate in the closet underneath the building that has all of our cybersecurity goodies. I never thought about that. But it's a vulnerability that you can exploit, whether you're a rat or a bad guy, right? So that's, I think, how the success of these exercises has to happen is that early on understanding of I know your environment enough, I can challenge you, and I can only take so much of your pushing back before I just say, yeah, but this is how it's going to be. And as long as it's not fantasy, it should work. Thinking about some other um, kind of opportunities to, to learn from a, a DM and leverage that in, in, in an exercise you know, some of the other things that, that we encounter drone, and I'm sure you've you've seen in, in your campaigns, when when players kind of want to go off and do their own thing instead of working as a team, kind of as you envisioned to solve the problem. So what are what are some tips that, that you you know could share that you've found to be successful in kind of defeating that you know, the lone wolf maverick approach and kind of encouraging everyone to stick together. Twofold. Fold number, idea number one. Um, I assigned the various characters here. Um, when playing in my games, we typically have the players either pick a character or create their own. Um, the options given will never be options for which they are not a good team player. Like when walking in and creating the character, the idea of how are you going to work within the environment, what sorts of things are you going to bring to the table for everybody is baked in to start so that, you know, we go, well, I just kind of am a lone wolf, blah, blah, blah. Well, why would you be on the team then? You know, so that's one way, but you can't always pick in your situation who you have on your team. So from there, second piece, um, Plots need to have a reason for players to be invested. So there has to be something that makes the player go, I want to go on to the next thing. That runs from a couple of different ways. Either one, there is something which is going to happen. There's an urgency. If we don't act, blah thing is going to happen. And you don't want blah thing to happen. So therefore, we have to act. Um, the other way of motivating is connections to someone else. Um, this person who you care about is asking you to act. But there has to be a motivation being given to the player 
Otherwise, the player comes up with their own motivation, and then suddenly they're off, you know, by themselves, getting kidnapped, and now you have an episode of Taken. So, <laughs> you know, that sort of that, – that, you have to kind of keep – it's up to you to keep the players engaged. And so your scenarios would have to be something that is keeping everybody engaged. What's happening right now that requires everybody's attention? Um, one thought, if you watch superhero movies – this is a world this is a you know these worlds have a zillion people with powers but in any given situation that person has to be the one to handle this if shang chi does not actually handle it then the world goes away i don't care if there is thor and captain america there's an urgency there and so you have to maintain that urgency to keep the players on track yeah i think um you know, that's one thing I always come back to, you know, for all these compliance related requirements, no matter how uh, large or small, you know, the level of effort is or the perceived value of the requirement is at the end of the day, they're all about ensuring the reliability of the bulk electric system. And as a person with a vested interest in the grid staying up, you know, I think that's pretty good motivation. Um, but you know, again, given given the scenario, you know, I can see how you probably, you know, will have instances where you kind of need to bring them back and refocus on, you know, here's why you're doing this. Yeah. So drawing an analogy, I, I love that thought. Let's say you all decided, yeah, forget this. We're just going to go walk someplace else. Then your friend's going to go to you and say, hey, what about my fish? Can you what's going on? Can I pay you? Can I give you some more motivation to be able to go ahead and handle this? Like there should be something other that something else there. If there's a reason why you are embarking on this adventure, then you should have your motivation there. If there's a reason why they are defending this system, that should be the motivation. As far as crafting a scenario, um, one other question I, I had was, you know, I'm sure in some cases, you know, you have ample time to prepare, you know, and think about, you know, all the different um, uh, attributes you want to share about the room, the dungeon, the, the monsters, et cetera. And, and, you know, can really present this fully fleshed out situation for, for your, your players to really, um, you know, see what, what you want them to see, you know, whether it be visually on screen in their mind's eye, whatever. Um, versus kind of a, a more generic situation where, you know, you didn't have time to prep for the session and you just kind of throw out some very basic details to kind of go through the steps of, you know, here's a, here's a rat, roll the dice, you dodge, you, you die, whatever. I guess, can you compare and contrast, I guess, how, how your campaigns go versus on, you know, how elaborate of a scenario you present versus not. Yeah. So, um, D and D was first created like late seventies or so. So all of this visual sound effects, I can target you and virtual die. That's all extra and fun. You know, way back in the day, it was just, you described it. And then from there, you know, maybe you drew out something on a map, but you just used your mind's eye. The rats are down the hall. How far down the hall? Oh, about 10 feet. Um, so you would you can go ahead and make it in that situation. You would have to kind of freestyle things based on the information from what I in my experience, the player needs. Um, 
I could, well, I was never a DM that was very good at describing things. I can find a picture somewhere and show you a really great picture. Um, but if I don't have that time, then going the castle from Castlevania will give you enough of an image. You know, so you just get the players the minimum requirements that they need in order to make a decision and then just keep rolling on. Awesome. I, I actually always thought you were a great, um, you know, visual uh, communicator. So, um, but yeah, bringing pictures to say, you know, hey, this is what it looks like or, hey, can you, you remember this movie or this character? And mm -hmm. um, those are excellent points. Let me let me toss one other thought. Emotional connection makes a difference and i actually think that's going to be the case um you know and what you all do as well um the idea of say very often saying this non-player character this person i made up it looks like this actor that you know or imagine they were played by this actress it actually it it, it connects them into what it is you're doing and then gives them more investment into what into your scenario now again in your situation i think maybe the equivalent would be um connecting to who would be affected by say a brownout or a blackout, but that's still getting people to kind of connect with here are the negative repercussions to you know yeah. what goes down not just logically but in your heart i think that's going to make a bit of a difference too the building just exploded like cyberdyne systems at the end of terminator 2 <laughs> mm -hmm. i understand i hope you all don't deal with too many exploding building buildings <laughs> no uh <laughs> jeff i was actually going to pivot to you um because i know you've been crafting some awesome scenarios of late uh I, you know just off the top of your head you know if you could briefly tell us how the engagement changes, you know, with one of those, you know, more thought out, you know, vibrant scenarios versus just a generic tabletop exercise where you don't really elaborate on the background on why something's happening. Well, what I have found to be very successful in, and it, it, it really kind of speaks to Jerome's point about investing in the people involved. Um, I've done a couple where I will actually go and I will research the C-level executives of the company. I'll get a little bit of information about who they are, um, what they do. You know, most times on on uh, companies' websites, they'll have a little bit of a bio about somebody. So I typically find the most success and the most engagement when there's a threat against, you know, potentially the entire C-suite of of executives. And in, in one scenario, each one of them got a virus in their inbox, um, demanding you know, a change to the environment of a power plant or the decommissioning of a coal plant or something like that. And then if I can get a little bit of information about someone in the staff that's going to be participating in my exercise, then I usually will utilize social media to find a little bit of information about that person, whether he or she is going to be the good guy or the bad guy. So what ends up happening in these scenarios is that the people in the room are often faced with situations that could potentially mirror their real life. You know, all of a sudden, Mr. Johnson, who's the CEO, has just opened up a fictitious email of a duck, and it's spreading a virus out our entire system. Um, and it, the reason it happened is because Bill over there, who has $60,000 in, in student loan debt because he just graduated from college, he was bent by someone and, and threatened to or given money to enable this scenario to happen. So I've started to figure the best recipe for success is to find those real life moments 
and and connect them to real life people in these organizations so that they, oftentimes when they're in the room together either virtually or or in physical they'll look at each other and go oh wow you probably have the ability to do that and oh wow you probably would open up that email with the duck so it's <laughs> it's personalizing and crafting that intel that for me has has led to success rather than just saying you walk into the office the next day, you see a picture of a fuzzy cat, you click on it, and your system is compromised. What do you do? Which, you know, that's more of a, like a canned DM approach. Whereas, you know, the more intricate details, I think, are what are this system, what this looks like, um, would present. You know, you really get that flavor and that uh, realism that makes it interesting to them. So they don't go off and chase the rat down the hallway. I do want to I want to co-sign the idea of of really getting to know the customers in that way. Um I've gone from teaching public school to private school and there's no way you can ever emulate what you do in private school and public school in part because in my biggest classes I have 16 students and that's the absolute biggest class. And so I have a chance to get to know them. There's a credibility that I can build over time, which I can't do if there's 30 kids in the room. You know, you just can't get to know everybody as well. And once you get to know a kid, you can get the. I can more easily figure out, well, here's what the things I can say to get them to kind of try to do this thing. Or I know they don't respond well to this, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems really like your client base is very similar to where if you can get a chance to get to know the customer, particularly their needs and concerns on an intimate level it's really easy to gain credibility like you can come up with that scenario where you can go oh yeah you could totally have some uh the office go go on fire because of this this and this because you got a chance to know them Mm -hmm. exactly drone thank you so much for making the time to chat with us today uh it was very informative great to see you and uh jeff thank you for your time and, and chatting about uh exercises and what we might can learn from the world of dungeons and dragons uh, I think there's there's opportunity to continue this discussion. So, thank you, John. So, anyway, thank you very much. Y'all take care. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at ArcherSEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.